welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. For, uh, there's a lot of new faces I see here. My name is, is Ross Gilbert, and I'm the, the lead pastor here at New Life, and we just wanted to give you a, a warm welcome. Excited to have you here. Uh, you're going to find out a little bit more about me. In fact, uh, those who've known me for a little bit might know a little bit more about me, and, and things might start to make sense. I'll say it that way. Uh, it's kind of like adding a key piece to a puzzle where all of a sudden you go, oh, that's, that's what it is. So uh, I need to make a confession to you. Uh, I'm a goalie. That means I like getting hit by pucks. Uh, some of you know exactly what that means. Uh, some of you uh, going, oh, <laughs> that makes sense now. Uh, some of you aren't quite sure what that means or the significance of that. So let me explain. I willingly, for fun, for my own enjoyment and my pleasure, I like being hit hard by a, by a piece of vulcanized rubber. I, uh, I enjoy that. It's, uh, in fact, the people who are firing it at me are trying not to hit me. And I will then jump in the way, making sure that it, it hits me. Uh, for fun, by the way. That's, that's, I enjoy that. And, and if it hits me in the head, wonderful. That's the right word, wonderful. Because if it hits me in the head, that means it's not going in, right? That's, that's my goal. And, and I can't begin. Oh, I hear something. That sounds positive. We're back. All right, so here's, here's my helmet. And as you can see, it is, it is uh, uh, pretty dented up, pretty scarred up. Uh, the, the wire cage here is bent. In fact, it's actually broken off because it was hit too many times in, in, the, in the head there. Um, some people call that shots to the head. I call those saves. So... Um, uh, so that's, that's it. Some might even wonder if I'm trying to make saves with my head. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny that. So, but you, um, you may be wondering why anyone would willingly choose such a position. And, and really, I can, it really comes down to, I think, two, two reasons. Number one, for as long as I've known, I, I've just been drawn to that position. There's something about the thrill of about being that, the last guy, the last, uh, you know, person on the defense, uh, the, the pressure, having your teammates back, the uniqueness of it. Uh, I'm just, just drawn to that aspect of it. Plus, the athleticism required it's just was always very exciting for me. But the other reason I think is simpler, I had an older brother named Paul. And, and Paul needed someone to shoot at. He needed target practice. And so he would, he would stick me in the net and then fire uh, at me, and, and that thus begun my, my career as a goalie. So uh, I didn't have much equipment back then. I really only had a, a hockey stick and a baseball glove. That was it. In the winter, you would wear a winter mitt, which was nice, a little bit of padding on the, on the hand. But that's all I had. And I still remember one time, it was during the winter, which although we used a tennis ball, because I think my brother liked that because it would go faster through the air, uh, I, it didn't really matter whether it was an orange ball or a tennis ball, because in the winter, that tennis ball freezes, and it's, it's just a block of ice at this point. 
So there was one sun or one uh, one morning we're playing in in the driveway and he's at the end of the driveway and I'm at the front of it and, and he takes his shot and he winds up and he was a he was a very gifted athlete very very good at hockey and had a hard slap shot and I remember this shot coming and it seems slow motion now but it was coming and it was coming directly at my head and I'm watching it and I'm watching it and <laughs> hit me. And like the Zapruder film, back and to the left, right? It was just like a, a shot between the eyes. And I go down and I start bawling and crying because I was 16 years old. And <laughs> I wasn't 16. I was six, right? So I'm six years old and I'm, I'm bawling. I'm crying. I'm like, you did this on purpose. You meant to do that. And, and you know, his laughing didn't exonerate him very much. <laughs> But uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't have that kind of, you know, ability to do that. But nonetheless, I finally get up, and, and he's really apologetic. He's really, really sorry. Well, the very next shot, I kid you not, the very next shot, same thing happens, <laughs> right between the eyes. Now, the good news is I made both saves. Just so we're clear, I made the saves, but I immediately, you know, said enough's enough. I went inside, I grabbed the hockey helmet and I came out and played the rest of the day with the hockey helmet on. That's right. You heard me. The hockey helmet was inside the whole time. <laughs> Again, you have a bit more understanding about me and how goalies work. We're a bit of a different breed, right? Um, so that brings us to this morning, right? About uh, we're, we're continuing on our, our study with the armor of God. And we're, we're coming to the last part, actually. We're going to look at tonight the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So let's read our passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we're looking forward to what you want to share with us this morning, what you want to reveal to us about this, this battle that's going on in our mind. And, and as Peter talked about the importance of renewing it and, and setting it on truth and, and who you are. And so we're, we're looking forward to how you share, how you convey what's beautiful, this new covenant, this new relationship we have with you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, Again, this is our final message on the armor of God, and I didn't, I didn't expect to go through it as slowly as we did, but I, I don't have any regrets because the battle we face is real. The battle we're up against, the enemy we're up against is real, and therefore the protection we require is critical. And we've talked a lot about who our enemy is not. Right? In this passage, Paul says your enemy is not flesh and blood, which means it's not other people. So it's not the politicians that you don't like that got elected or didn't get elected. Right? It's not those who are making rules with that you don't agree with. It's not your boss. It's not your manager. It's not even the guy who just cut you off the road. And most importantly, the enemy is not your spouse. It's not your children. It's not your family. It's not even the people at church who may have hurt you. That's not who our enemy is. We have a real enemy. Our enemy is spiritual in nature. And we've, we've been looking at how the enemy is the Satan and the demonic. It's the world that's trying to replace God and be God unto you. And then finally, the flesh, which shames, which tempts, which condemns us over and over again. And that's why Paul has given us the command to put on the armor of God, to put on the full armor of God, not just little pieces here and there, but put on the whole thing. For example, what good was my helmet sitting in my house when my brother with intent and malice and purpose is trying to kill me? <laughs> 
I think he was trying to get more of the inheritance, right? But what good is that helmet sitting inside my house? It has no value. It has no meaning to it. It's not doing anything. And so he's saying, take up, put on the full armor of God to take advantage of what we possess and what we have. And so we briefly noted that this is not just the Christian's armor, but it's God's armor. And that's significant because if it's God's armor, it's really coming down to recognizing the source and the power is not you and me. It's God. It's God himself and his strength. That's what's going to protect us. That's what's going to empower us. And so we're going to turn to Jesus. We're going to, rather than trying to handle it in our own strength and our own ability. And so Paul, he's been describing this in some detail using the, the common Roman soldier, the drawing these comparisons because people would have understood it in that day. And he talked about the belt of truth. We talked about how the truth is what holds everything together. And there's so much we can look at. But the, the one truth that I said I wanted us to all focus in on is the goodness of God. Because if God is not good, then you're not going to go to him. If God is not good, then you're not going to trust him. If God's not good, you're not going to receive from him. And so we need to start with that truth, the goodness of God, that he loves you and he's for you. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. A righteousness which is not by works. It's not by performance. It's not something you've earned. It's by grace. It's what God's given to us. And it's, again, his armor, and therefore it is his righteousness. You are as righteous and as holy as Jesus is because it's his righteousness and holiness that he's given to you. And it doesn't matter what you did last night, last week, last month, and what you'll do next week. Because it's a righteousness that God has earned for us on the cross. And that's what's going to protect us, protect our vital organs, because that's constantly going to be under attack. And we looked at the sandals that are fitted with the gospel of peace, right? That, that big warrior sandal. Doesn't have that same ring or power to it, right? But we talked about how that, that grounds us. It gives us a firm foundation. And then the shield of faith which we possess, but now we need to raise up. And so that brings us now to the, the final two pieces of God's armor, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's start with the helmet first. First, when we read the word salvation, a lot of people begin to think about that moment when we accept Jesus, when we, we become saved. We're, we're no longer in Adam, now we're in Christ. We're no longer against God, but we're now in the family of God. And that's what we think about salvation. And there's true, there is a moment of salvation that all that changed, all that transformed, where you, you for the, the best you knew how, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't think that's the salvation that Paul has in mind here. You see, if that were the case, I think that would have shown up, if not the first piece of armor, then the second. But it's showing up here at the end. And he's also giving us an, a command here to, to take up, meaning that it's it's not something we already have on us necessarily. We possess it, but we're not applying it. And so here, what I think about salvation, what he's referring to is the salvation that you and I need each and every day. As we go through this world, as we face struggles, as we face trials, we need to be saved through and from those things. And so it's a present tense salvation, not just a future salvation. And you think about what does the helmet protect? Right? It protects the old brain. It protects our computer. And that's so important because it's our mind where that battlefield is going on. It's our mind where that, that war is being waged. It's our mind that is so central to what we choose and what we do. 
See, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. What you think about God, what you think about yourself, what you think about other people, what you think is important, what you think is right and what you think is wrong, all of those beliefs are going to determine how you live, the choices you and I make. And so this is where the battle's going on. This is where the enemy is trying to influence us. It's why, as Peter quoted in Romans 12, we're told to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we throw out and jettison the old thinking, the lies, the inaccurate information about us, about others, about God, and we replace it with what's true, the truth of God's grace and his power. And so we want to understand a little bit more about this battle that's taking place, because please understand the battle you have going on in your mind is not with yourself. You are not your own worst enemy. I've heard that from a number of people. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, Ross, you don't understand. You don't know the thoughts that I have right now. I mean, like right now, about you even. <laughs> Do you want to come up here and confess something? No, no. All right. Just checking. So the reality is every, every one of us are plagued with all kinds of crazy thoughts. I know the thoughts that run through your mind because those same thoughts are running through my mind at times. But I also know where they're coming from. And more importantly, where they're not coming from. See, in Romans chapter 7, Paul, Paul talks about this great battle that's going on. And unfortunately, our Bibles have, have misnamed that section. A lot, of, a lot of Bibles talk about this, the battle between two natures. And that's not what's taking place here. It's not a battle between two natures. It's a battle that, that you and I face against another enemy called indwelling sin or the flesh. And Paul, he's talking about this battle. Think about it. He's not doing what he wants to do, but he's doing the very thing he hates. What's his desire? What's his want to? Is it good or bad? It's good. But he's not doing the good. He's doing the bad that he doesn't want to do. But you get insight as to what his heart is, what his nature is. Again, that's the breastplate of righteousness that's been given to you and I, a brand new heart. But he says, there's a battle going on here. There's a war going on here. So he, he summarizes it for us, beginning in verse 21. He goes, I find then the principle of e that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. This thing, there's this evil thing. It's in me. Now notice he says, it's not me, but it's in me. The one who wants to do good with a good heart. Why? Because verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I want to love people. I want to honor people. I want to do what's right. I want to trust God and follow God. That's natural to who I am. So why don't I do it all the time? Verse 23, but I see a different law. This word law here is not a, a written code of conduct. It's, it's not a, a formula of some sort. It's a power. It's a, it's a force. Much like the law of gravity is a power or a force. There is another force another law that is in the members of my body, in my physical body, waging war against the law of my mind, waging war against what I want to do, what my mind, my heart desires, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which in, is in my members. So there's a law of sin that's in my body, waging war with my mind, is trying to control me. It's trying to dominate me. It's trying to get me to trust the flesh rather than in God. And so this law of, of sin, this 
sometimes called indwelling sin or the, the flesh is really what you and I are, are battling against in our mind, not ourselves, but against our minds, against us. And so let's understand a bit more about how the flesh operates. It, see, it knows your story. See, Eldon, it, the flesh knows all about you. It knows the choices you've made. It knows what you've been through. It knows the mistakes you've made. But it also knows all the things you like to do to deal with it. It, it knows your triggers. It knows all the right buttons to push. And so what it does when it comes up against you, it starts to drop thoughts into your mind. It attacks your thoughts, trying to lead you away from trusting Jesus and listening to trust in the flesh as it offers a solution to life to us. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, I, I desire respect. I think that's a God-given uh, desire. That's something that God's given to men in particular. I, I desire to be respected. The problem is I, I make mistakes from time to time. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, it's only about once every three years, I find. Unfortunately, Joy's here to hold me on that one, so I'm not going <laughs> to push that one too far. But, but I make mistakes. And, and, the, and the flesh is trying to connect my worth to what I do. The flesh is trying to connect my value to my performance in some way. And, and so when I've made a mistake, that means I'm not measuring up. That means I've, I've blown it and I'm failing. But it's okay as long as nobody finds out. Right? Because then, then it's just between me and, and, and God and, and we'll, 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 we'll figure it out. But then, then, then Sue finds out because she works with me. And, uh, and well, it's, it's not entirely true that she just found out. She's actually known for a while. Um, but she's brought it to my attention now. And, and so now I'm thinking, not good, not good, not good, not good. No, oh boy, this is not good. I'm in trouble. I've been found out. And so now the flesh begins to drop all kinds of attacks, all kinds of thoughts in my mind, hoping that something will stick, hoping that something will just will we'll hang around long enough that I'll own it and buy into it. And so I get thoughts such as, how can I perform better? How can I do better? Because my worth is taking a hit. Now I got to earn that back. How can, I, how can I work better? Try harder, do more, accomplish something else. So I have all kinds of attacks that are about performance. But then I have another set of attacks that are all about protection. How can I protect myself now? I've just been found out. She's just, she just brought something to my attention. I, I need to bring up her faults. I need to bring up her mistakes. And, and I need to defend myself. Make her even think that, that she's crazy for what she's seeing and thinking that, that it's really on her and it's her fault. And, and maybe I'll even use a bit of anger and powering up to shut her down for questioning me and my authority. I am her boss after all. So those thoughts are going through my mind. But then I have another set of thoughts that are just say, uh, what's the point? I'm busted. I'm found out. Doesn't really matter what I do. I, I, I just got to find comfort now. And I turn to ice cream or chips or TV because they've been my true friends my whole life. <laughs> and so we're, we're listening to the flesh and something in there goes, yeah, that's, that's the path forward. Doesn't matter which one. Doesn't matter if I try to earn back and work harder and, and try to please Sue to get some love back 
or if I turn it on her and protect myself, or I withdraw, or I comfort myself, all the flesh is trying to do is get me to follow it. Because what the flesh is offering me now is a solution to a God-given need, but in a God-forbidden way, in a way that doesn't include God. And so we need to fight back against the flesh. And, and we do that, I think, with the sword of the Spirit. We finally come to the last bit of armor here. And, and the sword, what's interesting, is both a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. See, up to this point, all of the, the armor of God has been defensive in nature. Be it the, the, the belt, the, the sandals clearly are not much of an offensive threat. Um, the, the, but the breastplate, the helmet, even the shield that Paul had in mind is not one that you would take into hand-to-hand -hand uh, combat. But the sword... And the sword he has in mind is the short sword. It's meant for in close contact. It's meant for hand-to-hand -hand battle. He says, this here, this sword, which is now, in fact, the word of God. Now, when we think about the word of God, we often think about the Bible. We think of those scriptures. And I don't think that's what Paul had in mind here, though. You see, the Greek word here for, for word is not logos. Logos is typically the word that's used for translating to scriptures, the, the written word of God. But also keep in mind, Paul didn't have the New Testament logos. He didn't have the New Testament at this point. Instead, he used a different Greek word. He used the word rima, which literally translates to utterance. And so what, what I think he's talking about here is more than the written word of God, he's talking about the utterances of God, which would include the written word, but goes includes more than just that. Think about when, when Jesus was in the wilderness, right? When Jesus was being tempted for 40 days straight by Satan. Nothing to eat, no food. Think about that. That's almost six weeks without food. I struggle with six hours. <laughs> but he's gone six weeks with no food. A little bit of hangry maybe, right? And the whole time, every day, all day long, he's being tempted over and over and over again. We only have three recorded, but, but he's been tempted over and over for 40 days. And then suddenly Satan says, turn this rock into a loaf of bread. Prove that you're God. Because any self-respecting God can do that. And how did Jesus answer? He said in Matthew 4, 4, he says that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Again, the utterances. It, yes, it includes the scripture, but it... It's more than that. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about things that are outside of Scripture that, that go against Scripture. But, but Peter talked about how God was speaking to him as he was thinking about what songs to pray or to, to sing. And so those are utterances of God that, that God was leading Peter. Clearly, he's never going to violate the, the, the Scripture. But there's more to it than just reading the Bible. Now, does that mean we're going to throw the Bible aside? Absolutely not. There is, there is tremendous value in the Bible. In fact, I think we've kind of forgotten about it. I think we've kind of set it aside now that most of our Bible are on our apps and we don't, we don't tend to pick up a Bible anymore and read it from time to time. And yet there's great value in that for us. My, my friend Preston Gillum, he wrote this. He said, the Bible is filled with principles and wisdom, but it is fundamentally more than this. He's saying it's not just a, a guidebook or a, or a rule book or, or just a, a path or a pattern to follow. He says the Bible is the expressed will and desire of God. 
It contains the inspired words of God's heart to our hearts. Reading the Bible for personal edification is akin to reading a series of letters from God to you. So personal is the Bible to your life, well-being, and heart. So you have to understand the Bible is more than a history book. It's more than a, a book of rules and much more than a book of principles. The Bible is really God's autobiography. And why do you read an autobiography? To get to know the author. And so we read the Bible, we read the scriptures so that we can get to know the heart, the mind, the character of our God, of our Father, of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, and start to recognize now when he's speaking to us. Begin to recognize now how he's leading us. Because you see, when you and I were faced with a decision, we're trying to figure out how do I respond in a situation, God will bring to our mind a verse or, or a character in, in the scriptures or, or some kind of a principle, or an idea. And, and if we've been reading the scriptures, we will recognize that that's God speaking to us, that that's, that's God bringing to our mind and our attention something that's important. See, that was true of the disciples. You know, the, the night that Jesus was arrested, he has that last supper and, and he has an incredible time with his disciples there. And he, he says to them in, in John 14, verse 25, he says, these things that I've spoken to you while abiding with you. So for three and a half years, we've been living together, hand in hand, you know, shoulder to shoulder and, and, and really close together. And I've shared a lot of things with you for three and a half years. But he says, all I could do is speak it to you. But I'm going to send another. I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things. I find great comfort in that, by the way, that if Jesus, the master teacher, the best he could do is speak. It was going to take the Holy Spirit to be the teacher. So here I am. All I can do is speak to you. All I can do is share the gospel, the good news, the, the freedom, the power that we have in Jesus Christ. But it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to be the teacher, to take what he says through me and make it real to you. And so the Holy Spirit will teach you in all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. See, I can just imagine the disciples were, were kind of walking down the, the, a road one day or going into a village or, or they came across someone and they're wondering, what do we do here? And they would remember something. I remember Jesus saying that we're to love these people. I remember Jesus saying something about if I have two cloaks to give one cloak to this person here. I remember Jesus saying that if, if someone doesn't want to listen to you and they're opposing you, it's better just to kick off the sand off your sandals and walk away. I remember Jesus saying there's no greater love than to lay down your life for another person. Whatever the situation, whatever they needed to know, they would have a remembrance of that, and that was the Holy Spirit. And so you and I could experience that as well. That we're going through life and we're faced with a decision, and all of a sudden we'll remember a passage or a verse or something. And that's why we read our Bibles. Please understand, we don't read our Bibles to impress God. We don't read our Bibles to get a sticker. We don't read our Bibles to get a check mark. There's, there's not going to be a big board in heaven that's got your Bible reading percentage, your, your career stats for how many times you read through the Bible in a year. None of that matters. But there's great value in reading the scriptures because it, it, when you hear that thought, you will recognize it as coming from God. 
I remember when I'd, I'd counsel people, especially at the beginning, um, in, in fact, in particular marriage couples, and I would be counseling them and talking to them about the importance of loving one another and, and, um, and protecting one another and so forth. And, and they'd come in and they, they'd talk about how they were getting into a fight. And the husband would say, I, I, was, I was getting into a fight with my wife and she was, she was just, she so deserved it. She was so irritating and, and I was just ready to lay into her. And then I heard your voice in my head. And my first thought is always, oh, you poor soul. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's deliverance for that somewhere. Right? So they, they'd say, I, I'd hear your voice in my head. And they, and they would say, just love her. Lay down your rights and love her. Do what's in her best interest and love her. And so I did. And it worked. Changed the whole dynamic that night. And so what they were doing is they were hearing my counsel and they were acting on it. Well, a few months would go by. And they'd say something similar. Hey, we're getting into it again. And, and, and then I heard God's voice. And God said, just love her. You see, the whole time it was God who was speaking. It's just that the first time he was impersonating me. He was using my voice because that's what they recognized as godly counsel. But later on, as they developed that relationship, as they developed that intimacy with Father, they recognized that as Father's voice directly to them. And so we read our scripture verses, we read the Bible, whether it be, you know, a couple passages at a time or in bulk, so that we have something the Holy Spirit can draw upon that we recognize, so we can discover his grace, his love, his power towards us. Because remember, that's what this is all about. That as we saw in Ephesians 2, 7, that God did everything he did on that cross. He loved you so that he can love you, so that he can love you, so he can love you, so he can love you. So let's go back to my example of Sue. Right? I'm in that moment. I'm, I'm caught. I'm found out. I've been screwing up. Do I perform, try and work harder, try to earn something back? Do I, do I hide it? Do I bluff it? Do I turn on her, make her think it's her problem, it's her fault for recognizing it? Do I withdraw from her? Or do I just run away and seek comfort in something unhealthy? Or do I remember my father's words to me? That I'm in the battle. And I need to put on the full armor of God. His breastplate of righteousness says that I'm loved and accepted despite when I screw up. That these sandals, my feet are well grounded that I can't be shaken. That this belt of truth, this, this God that loves me and cares for me and is good towards me all the time. And the shield of faith, these darts that are coming at me and this helmet of salvation because there's a battle going on in my mind. And I recognize the that the flesh is speaking right now. And then I remember a passage like Romans 6, 11. Even so, consider, recognize, remember yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That, that when I used to be a slave to sin, slave, sin mastered me and controlled me, but that slave was crucified with Christ and is gone. I've been set free. The flesh doesn't control me anymore. Now I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm under his management, under his direction. He's now leading me and guiding me. I'm connected to him. In verse 12, therefore, don't let sin reign. Don't let the flesh reign in your mortal body that you would obey its desires. 
Notice that it's not my evil desires, it's not my evil lust, but it's sin's desires, sin's lust, the flesh. It's the one trying to lead me away. It's the one trying to get me to hide from Sue or beat her up or attack her or get angry with her or run and hide and and seek comfort in more sin. I don't have to let it rain. I don't have to follow it and do what it wants to do. Don't go on presenting the, the, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Instead of saying, all right, flesh, let's go your way. Let's do it your way. Instead, I can offer myself to Jesus. I can offer myself to God. And I become an instrument of righteousness to her and her to me. And we we experience this, this beautiful dynamic of love between a Christian brother and a Christian sister. But more than that, I experience freedom and victory in that moment. Not because I've conquered the flesh. It's not my job. See, look what Paul says in in Romans 8, 12 and 13. He says, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You've been set free from the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. That's not a a threat. It's not a punishment. That you, you, it better would have been translated as you will experience death. They would put the word must in there because Paul said it's a fact of history. And that's the truth. If I follow the flesh, what will I experience? Exhaustion, misery, alone, uh, rejection, shame, all of it. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will experience life. You will experience Jesus. Notice it's not me and my determination and my willpower that overcomes the flesh. It's by the Spirit. It's the armor of God leading to the fruit of the spirit. Notice how little you and I have to do with this, right? We are, we're, we're involved. We're presenting ourselves and God's using us doing, we become members of righteousness, but I'm not the source. I'm not the power. Instead, I am tapping into something far greater, far more meaningful that allows me to experience that freedom. So let's put on that helmet. Let's take up our sword. Let's turn to Jesus and listen to him and then follow through with what he's saying. And we do it together with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible passage because the reality is we are in a battle. We are in a fight. But, but you have made it possible for us to experience victory. You have made it possible for us to find freedom and life in you. And so we thank you for that. And we, we celebrate this. And so we ask you to continue to, to make it clear to us when you're speaking to us. Make it clear to us that we would recognize your voice and we would trust it and we would follow it and that we would be a light into this very dark and hurting world that we would be able to love our family and our friends and those around us. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. 
Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.